Chapter 9. I scrambled to my senses and tried to get up, but Mrs. Dane didn't beat the bowl on my head again. It would have been smarter for you to swim off the island, girl. That bucket's not even fit for catching shrimp. She pushed me toward the gray waves, crashing against the docks, daring me to jump in. When I didn't, she harumphed and grabbed my chin, studying the sooty hollows of my cheeks. Just as I thought, no demon would be as pitiful as you. She threw her apron at me. You work for me now. Any tricks and I'll tell the magistrate to cut off your hands for trying to steal my boat. Understand? Hunger sharpened in my gut as I bunched up the apron in my hand. It was stained with oil and brown sauce and dried grains of rice that I could have licked right off the cloth. Just for a day, I promised myself before I trudged after her. I glanced at the empty sky, imagining six cranes threading through the clouds. Just for a day. I'd soon lose count of how many times that promise was to be broken. Lena! Lena! Get over here, you stupid girl! Lena, even after two months, I still wasn't used to the name Mrs. Danian had given me. But I didn't mind it. It was better than thief or bullhead or demon. Then again, I suppose none of those would have been good for business. Lena, I'm waiting. What Mrs. Danian lacked in height, she made up for in vociferous anger. Even earthquakes couldn't outdo the thunderous power of her ire. She'd been in a bad mood lately. The autumn drafts made her bones ache, and she took the pain out on me. I only wondered what I'd done this time. Setting my broom to the side, I approached her, preparing myself for a public rebuke. I bit the inside of my cheek, a painful reminder not to speak. Mr. Nossawa ordered a cup of rice wine, not plum wine, Mrs. Danen rumbled. This is the third time in an hour you've mixed up orders. Not true, Mr. Nossawa, a fisherman who regularly came to Sparrow Inn, had most definitely asked for plum wine. I glared at him, but he averted his eyes. As much as he liked causing trouble for me, I suspected he secretly feared me. Well? A month ago, I would have gritted my teeth and gestured that she was wrong. Would have ended up with a mark on my cheek and no dinner. I knew better now. Now I showed my defiance in other ways. Sorry, I gestured, lowering my head another inch. I was starting to take Mr. Nossowa's cup of plum wine when Mrs. Dane had smacked the side of my head with the heel of her hand. The bowl sitting on my skull thrummed, sending me staggering back. The cup thumped onto the ground, wine splashing the hem of my skirts. I gathered my balance as Mrs. Dane rounded on me. Tossing her broom at my face. Useless girl, she spat. Clean up the mess. Why even bother keeping her drawled? Mr. Nosawa. Look at her. With that bowl on her head, I've never seen anything so ill-omened. Let her be, Mrs. Danen, one of the other fishermen muttered. She's a good cook. The best you've had yet. Yes, let her get back to work. Old Nosawa did ask for plum wine. Even I heard it. Not wishing to quarrel with the customers, I reached for my broom and swept up the shard of the shattered wine cup. How I went from boat robber to tavern cook was a blur. Even more confounding, it was already mid-autumn. The browning maple trees outside the inn were a constant reminder of my broken promise. I swallowed, guilt festering inside me. I hadn't meant to stay for long, but Mrs. Dana worked me so hard that I collapsed on my cot every night, drained of energy and too tired to figure out a plan to leave. Come morning, the cycle only repeated itself. Besides, where could I go with no money? You could ask one of the fishermen to lend you a boat, Shiori, said Kiki, reading my thoughts. Many of them like you. She fluttered inside my pocket. I wished I could let her out, but I couldn't leave her alone in my room, not when Mrs. Danian made a point of searching it every few days unannounced. Kiki looked for my brothers each day, but she'd had no success, not even getting word to father. Tiani village was so far from the mainland that little news made it here. I pushed my way into the kitchen to check on the large pot simmering on the stove. Preparing the morning soup was my main task at Sparrow Inn. The reason Mrs. Danian wouldn't cast me out, my soup was good for business. It was my mother's recipe. She died when I was three, but I had carried the warmth and flavor of the soup deep within me. The memory of poking into the pot for chunks of meat and picking out combs of fish bones, of decking my spoon with a bracelet of onions and savoring the soft crunch of the radishes and the orange splashes of carrot. 
Most of all, I remembered the way she would sing little songs she made up to we, as we worked in the kitchen. Chinari was a girl who lived by the sea, who kept the fire with a spoon and pot. Stir, stir, a soup for lovely skin. Simmer, simmer, a stew for thick black hair. But what did she make for a happy smile? Cakes, cakes with sweet beans and sugar cane. After she died, I still sneaked into the kitchen to help the cooks make Mama's soup. It was the only dish they allowed me to prepare, probably out of pity, and I became good at it. It was what my brothers requested whenever they weren't feeling well, and despite them being strong, sturdy boys who rarely fell ill, there were six of them. I took every bruised ego and scraped knee as an opportunity to hone Mama's recipe. Whenever I made it, I felt close to Mama and happy, almost happy which was all I could ask for these days. It was the only time I forgot about the wretched bowl on my head or that I had been cursed into silence or that my brothers were out in the world somewhere, their spirits trapped in the form of cranes, lost to me. Besides, if I didn't cook and Mrs. Danan did, her recipes tasted like paper, bland and practically inedible. She would have served stew with donkey dung if it meant saving money, but most of the time she reboiled the leftover bones for a week, throwing in half-rotting vegetables and I suspected dishwater. Naturally, she was furious when she caught me adding extra carrots to the soup and seasoning the rice with the broth of fish bones. But the fisherman took note of how the meal suddenly tasted better than before, and how the rice was fluffy instead of soggy, and how the vegetables crunched under their teeth and freshened breath. Business swelled, and Mrs. Danan stopped lecturing me about squandering her ingredients. Instead, she raised prices. I didn't like her, but it wasn't easy for a widow to run her own business. Her struggles showed in the deep grooves on her face, which made her look far older than she must have been. She wasn't kind, but in her own way she protected me, at least from her customers. A soldier grabbed my skirts as I emerged from the kitchen, pulling me toward him. What's under the bowl on your head? I swung my broom into his face. Don't touch me. Why, you, he rose angrily, but he was so drunk that he swayed, unable to keep his balance. He tried to throw his wine at me, but he missed. Demon, demon, Mrs. Danan spoke up. Leave her alone. My last girl was more of a demon than this little shrimp. She's not very bright, but she can cook. You enjoyed your soup this morning, didn't you? Then why the bowl? The soldier slurred. She's just ugly as all, Mr. Nossowa said. So hideous, her mother glued it to her head to spare the rest of us from seeing her ugly face. Mrs. Danan, Mr. Nossowa, and the soldier shared a laugh, and I stopped sweeping, my vision blurred with anger. My stepmother had done this, not my mother. It sickened me to think a monster like Rikama was still married to father, still Kiata's honored imperial consort. My nails dug into the broom handle. There had been more men like this soldier at Sparrow Inn lately drunk and belligerent, traveling through Tiani village on their way to defend the north. Every time a new one passed through, a wave of unease settled over me. Gods, I prayed, Father was not preparing us for war. As if Mrs. Danan could sense my distraction, she turned sharply, wagging a bony finger at me. Stop eavesdropping, Lena, she barked. We're low on firewood. Go get some. I grabbed my cloak by the door and exchanged my broom for an axe. Still fuming, I planted myself in front of the nearest woodpile. A chore used to tire me after only a few swings. The axe felt so heavy it took two arms to lift. Now I hefted it easily in one hand. With every swing, I let out my anger. It was no coincidence that Rekama had left me in the most isolated part of Kiata with no way of getting home. Had she always used her magic to make us do what she wanted? Was that how she had charmed father into marrying her? A foreign woman with a f from a faraway land with no money or title to her name? Part of me wanted to think it was so, but I knew it wasn't. I would have noticed her eyes when she summoned her power, yellow as the summer chrysanthemums that bloomed in our gardens. I would have noticed the stone in her heart shimmering like obsidian in the moonlight. Most of all, I would have noticed her face, her true face, rigid and hideous, with ivory scales like a snake's. The wind lashed at the bowl on my head, mocking me. 
There was nothing I could do. I was stranded, alone, with no voice, no anger, no magic. A hundred times I tried making the dead grass under my shoes green again, tried making the rotten tangerines Mrs. Danen brought from the market plump and juicy again, tried folding birds and fish and monkeys out of whatever I could get my hands on to bring them to life. Once it had been as simple as a word, a thought, a wish. Every day I tried and tried again, refusing to give up. But whatever magic I'd had was gone, little more than a dream. One last swing, and the wood cracked and groaned. I stepped out of the way as the log split in two, and wiped sweat from my brow. Maybe magic wasn't the answer. Maybe I had to find another way. I raised my axe to the next round of wood and gathered my strength. Curled up on a straw pallet with Kiki in the crook of my arm, I dreamt of my brothers every night I saw them. Andahai, Benkai, Reiji, Wande, Yotan, and Hasho. Six cranes with, with crimson crowns. Sometimes I called out to them and they fell, one by one in a flash of red with a serpent's bite on their blackened, black-feathered throats. I would wake drenched in sweat, my body violently shaking. Other times I dreamt they were searching for me, flying over distant lands I did not recognize. Those dreams had vivid clarity, and I prayed they were visions, that my brothers were alive and safe and hadn't forgotten themselves or me. Tonight I dreamt of Rekama. The trees in our garden had turned a brownish shade of yellow. Their leaves singed with a blush of red. Day after day, my brothers returned to the palace. They flew, squawking cries that sounded vaguely like my name. Shiori! Shiori! It was against the law to kill a crane on imperial grounds, but the soldiers grew so alarmed by their daily appearance that they shot pebbles at the birds when they tried to land in the gardens. Yet my brothers were not deterred. Finally, one day, the cries grew so loud that my father himself came to view the six cranes soaring above his palace. Strange, he mused. Usually the cranes only visit in the winter. Come look. My stepmother joined him. They're different from the birds that ordinarily visit. Different. Husband, you can read the faces of birds now? No, my father made a sad little laugh. But their eyes, they almost look human. So doleful. Almost as if I've seen them before. At that, my stepmother stiffened. They're turning violent, she replied. The largest one attacked a guard today, and another flew into my garden. They're wild cranes. Have the guards shoot them if they come again. Before my father could protest, the flecks of gold in my stepmother's eyes shimmered, and his face went slack. He nodded mutely, as if thinking, of course, you're right. The next time my brothers came searching for me, she made them forget too. Fly south, she said. Forget your sister and join the others of your kind. No, I wanted to scream. Don't listen to her. But away the six cranes flew, and I could not tell where my stepmother's enchantment had touched them or the archers had frightened them off. When I woke, my back was moist with sweat, and my legs were sore from kicking in my dreams, but my mind was sharper than it had ever been, as if it finally pierced the veil of fear Rekama had cast over me, and whittled my sorrow into steel-hard metal. I'd languished here long enough. It was time to make Rekama pay for what she had done. It was time to find my brothers.